Hello there. Welcome back to the First Aid Woodworking Podcast. My name is Paul Hyatt, and I'll be your host. We talk about craftsmanship and finding meaning in our lives. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you will like, subscribe, and share it along with other people who might be interested in stuff like this. Thank you, and God bless. All right, welcome back to the First Aid Woodworking Podcast. Uh, today, I am so excited and so incredibly honored to have a man that I love to death, that I met uh, over a decade ago uh, in one of the most unlikely places that you would figure that you're going to like uh, have a person have a huge impact on your life, which was uh, the country of Afghanistan. Uh, we did not know one another before uh, we we actually got to the country, and uh, just kind of the rough aspects of being in uh, in a war zone that was a pretty kinetic, uh, combative environment really really brought us together in in such a way that uh, can only be described as uh, as brotherhood. So this is uh, my dear friend Josh Johnson. Uh, Josh, uh, welcome to the podcast. Paul, thanks for having me, man. Uh, that intro, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't think I deserve all that. Uh, thank you. Uh, but uh, dude, I, you said to, you know, over a decade ago, it's crazy that it really has been yeah. that long. Sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday. And, um, you know, and, and feel like it was just yesterday. Sometimes, you know, you always want to kind of go back and um, maybe not for all the bad, but for all the good that that uh, that existed in that time. So, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Not a problem at all. It's my honor. But um, I would try to do some form of a biographical background <laughs> of you. But I mean, you're you're kind of like me in that regard. That um, you know, we've both kind of been all over the place. So yeah. Um, you know, if anything you want to tell me about like uh, where you're born and raised, what your upbringing was like, um, uh, and then uh, kind of how that developed to where you are today, I'd love to know about it. Sure, sure. Uh, so um, I was born in this, this small um, inner city place uh, called Petersburg uh, in Virginia. I actually just live right up the road from it now. Um, spent most of my life in Virginia, but all up and down the East Coast a little bit, anywhere from Georgia to, to Pennsylvania. And then um, settled back in Virginia um, in the Richmond area right before actually 9-11. Um, and a couple of days before 9-11, uh, that was, I was how old was I at the time? I guess I was 12. Um, uh, my dad died. And then uh, so I got pushed down to, to uh, Colonial Heights High School, which is literally the, the bordering town um, right outside of Petersburg. And I graduated high school there in 2006. But um, childhood from, you know, six on down um, was pretty good. I, I mean, I couldn't really complain uh, of what I had. Sometimes I didn't realize that I didn't have much. I'm uh, looking back on it now and I realize. And so Petersburg, it's a small, really inner city place. Um, there's a lot of um, impoverished uh, people in Petersburg. Uh, and um, we kind of fit <laughs> into that mold. Uh, but I right. didn't know any better, you know, just living my life and, and enjoying life 
I, you never really realize that you might have a little less than some other people if everybody around you doesn't have anything either. Um, but uh, not to, to get on a soapbox and say, oh, I didn't have any money growing up because it didn't matter. I felt like I lived a childhood that was a normal childhood. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't feel like we were struggling for anything because that's all I knew. Um, so I enjoyed my childhood. Um, there was a lot of violence there. Yeah, I did definitely, uh, I was exposed to that at a young age. Um, I saw my first person get shot when I was, ooh, who knows, uh, somewhere like second or third grade, which is, I guess, a little unsavory. Um, but you, you learn a lot of things in an early age in, in a place like that. But I put my dad did everything he could to make sure that although we were surrounded by, um, you know, guns and drugs that we didn't have to become a product of our environment, um, down to making sure that we always spoke a certain way, or we always dressed a certain way, or always presented ourselves a certain way. And I'm very thankful for that nowadays. Um, you know, some people might look at it in a, in a different light and, and maybe give it some different terms. Um, but I feel like that upbringing has allowed me to be uh, what I consider to be successful to now. Um, but uh, so graduate high school, 2006, at Clinton Heights is uh, it's a really, another really small town. This, this area is down here in, um, in Virginia is called the Tri-Cities. You have uh, Petersburg, Colonial Heights, Hopewell. There's more than three, but we always call it Tri-Cities. It's kind of weird. Um, Dinwiddie and um, everything else is just south of Richmond. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, graduated Colonial Heights 2006, started working at this little rental company, which is so much fun. It's my, my first exposure to, uh, to real men. <laughs> you know, like in my, since my dad wasn't around, I had to you know, go to my uncle's house every now and then and see the neighbor. But uh, this is my first exposure to real men working a real hard job. And you know, I heard every bad word under the sun and, and everything um, else that I could ever think of uh, working with these guys. And um, I found myself wanting a little more of something that I didn't know what, what it was. Um, a buddy of mine had just gone to a Marine boot camp. I didn't even know what a Marine was at the time. I had no clue, uh, but he's a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends. And he wanted me to just go hang out with him at the recruiting station one day. And I said, sure, you know, no big deal, why not? Um, and <laughs> I walk in and there's a Marine there. Remember his name, um, I don't remember a lot, but uh, Gunnery Sergeant Kid, um, Gunny, if you're listening, hello. I'm sure you're not a Gunny now. Uh, but um, he asked me straight up if I wanted to shoot at people and blow stuff up. And, um, you know, 18-year-old me said, yeah. <laughs> I, I had no reason to, to do this, um, but I also had no reason to not. Um, so I left maybe four weeks after that, an encounter that I had with uh, Gunny Kid. Uh, the recruiting station down in Clinton Heights and here in Virginia and um, set forth on a, a, a short career, honestly, it's, um, of the Marines, at least. You know, I did uh, six years, uh, had that deployment with you in 2010. Um, and what an experience that was. It was um, something I'll always remember, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like... Um you know, with, with you and I both, like, uh, we, we kind of have a, a similar background in the sense of like, um, uh, you and I both, like when I was a kid, I bounced around kind of like similar areas, but, but I moved around quite a bit. Um, and, uh, uh, and then my, my father was, um, uh, in the picture when I was a kid. 
but then um, left when I was uh, 15 for a lot of different reasons um, but uh, that, that I don't really want to get into on here. But um, but uh, but but it sounds like both of us really, really benefited from having like while my father wasn't uh, the most moral person on the planet and necessarily mm. like walked the walk, I would say. Uh, he definitely did want better for me and, um, uh, you know, had high expectations for me in my life and uh, did instill in me the idea that um, that I could accomplish whatever I wanted to if I put my mind to it. Would you say that that was pretty similar with you and your father? And then after he passed away, you looked for that in other men as well? Oh, for, for sure. For sure. I um. Actually, I was having this conversation with uh, might have been my my little brother the other day, or another individual. I can't really remember who, but um, I definitely um saw that. You know, my dad would always say like, "Why we, why would you go to school and get education?" And I would, and I'm like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know." And he's like, "Well, because you can, because you we're here in this great place that allows us to get an education. So you're going to do it solely just because you can. You're always going to do something more and more and more because you can." There's no reason to shortchange yourself. Um, and I found myself also not shortchanging myself in, in, a, um, in a way that manifested itself and always wanting to make my leadership proud. So trying to go the extra mile for uh, my leadership, whoever that may be, whatever capacity it was that I was working, um, especially if it was a male, because maybe I was, I was, I was missing that, that portion of my life that um, I didn't have that male validation growing up. Um, and, and I didn't feel like I desired it, but subconsciously and then looking back on things, I definitely was. And I think I still do now to this day. Um, and, you know, if I have a leader, I, I don't always try to do what I'm supposed to do because that's what I'm supposed to do. I wanna do what I'm supposed to do because I want to make them proud. Um, so I definitely think that um, you know, we, we mirror each other in that respect. That's cool. Um, now, uh, so we'll we'll talk about um, our uh, our deployment to Afghanistan here in just a second. But um, uh, I, I'd love for you to talk just where where are you at today with everything? So, what is your um, so like from 2010 to present day? And you don't have to sure. walk me through because I know that you've got quite the background there. But uh, <laughs> you're a you're a Virginia State police officer now, I think you. Yep. Uh, so what what led you to that? Um, so I'll step back just a little bit. Um, I left the Marines in uh, 12 and joined the Army. So I was in the Marine Reserves um, that whole time. Um, and I joined the Army National Guard in uh, 2013. I thought I was done with the military, realized really quick that I needed to be in another uniform. Um, so all the while, while going to drills and, you know, um, had a deployment in between there as well. Um, I used to work at this uh, this security company, and um, at the time, I wanted to go back to Petersburg to be a firefighter, and um, just doing all these things and getting doing great on the test and running around and you know scoring high on the written test as well. And um, I had some military duty that I had to attend, and I asked you know the fire department, and not not to to thirshiate on them. This is just the way the process was. If I left for this military duty, if I could come back, I was in the same place I was in the hiring process. They said I know I had to start all over again. Um, 
And it just so happened that at the security company I worked for, I was a, a supervisor there. Under me was a retired Petersburg police officer. And um, he was like, hey, man, like, I know you're from there. We talk about Petersburg all the time. I think that you might you know, enjoy doing this. And I never thought about being a lawman ever. Um, but I was just somewhere where, I mean, he was doing a similar job. I just assumed, you know, maybe let me go check this thing out. If I don't like it, then I'll just leave and go do something else. Um, and I went and tried out for Petersburg PD, got into the academy. And once I hit the street, I absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, I don't know what exactly it was about Petersburg outside of, um, it's a high crime area with few officers. So you have to be essentially a Marine. You have to be a jack of all trades. You know, whatever your job is, it doesn't mean that that's just your job. You're doing four or five different things that aren't even in your purview. Um, but being a law enforcement officer there allowed me to excel at a, a super high rate. Um, I've been in law enforcement since, two, since 2018, so five years. And most of my time has been in a specialty and next to none of my time has been on patrol. Um, I had uh, one month of patrol there <laughs> before I got pushed to a specialty and now I'm with VSP, I'm, at a, I'm on patrol. But um, what put, really pushed me to VSP is um, I went into deployment with the, the Army National Guard. I came home and um, had all aspirations of joining the FBI. Um, after this deployment, I finished my degree while I was there in Africa, I was in Djibouti. And um, I was on a task force with Petersburg Police Department. It's kind of, it's hard to understand, so I'll, I'll say it a little slow, not to, to insult your intelligence at all, but with Petersburg <laughs> I PD, I was, <laughs> I was a detective with a narcotics detective with Petersburg Police. And I was um, deputized by the marshals and the FBI to work directly under the FBI, but Petersburg still paid my paycheck. Um, so, uh, Went to the FBI office every day, um, worked with the special agents every day, worked federal cases every day. That is, that is what I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought that's where I wanted to go. Um, and while I was gone in this deployment, everything was great, finished my degree. I thought I was going towards that path and that was where I was gonna go. Um, but family had to come first. And uh, my wife and I didn't really um, think it was the, the best move to to move the family at the time since I'd been kind of separate from the family, although I was home, but the capacity that I worked was at, at a, a, a crazy pace where I was never really home. I'd be home to sleep. And, um, but when a lot of times while they're gone, I'm home. And if I'm home, they're gone. Uh, so it was kind of, a, it felt it felt a little selfish to, to continue to just put myself first opposed to um, the rest of the family and my wife's career as well. Um, so and I completely understand that. Um, all right. Uh, sorry about that. We uh, I, we were having um, Zoom issues here to where we might have to do this in in bits and pieces. But um, Josh, I think the last thing that I remember you talking about was um, you were you had particular career aspirations that would have taken you away from your family, but you essentially decided to make the sacrifice to. Um, uh, do still like a, a really really great job as as being a, um, a law enforcement officer for the state of uh, Virginia, um, but so that you could basically be around your kids. And I I don't know if you want. Can I tell the world the good news? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You're, yeah. you're getting ready to invite um, a third Johnson into the family, which is uh, just it. a great blessing. Um, I, Thank you. I was talking to you but, uh, before this that uh, my wife and I are trying for our first and have not had success yet, but we are uh, hoping and praying that we're going to be able to, to start a family soon here and and uh, hopefully we'll be right behind you there. So hopefully around the time that you're uh, uh, inviting your third child into the world, I'll be inviting my first into the world. So um, I'm believing in it for you guys. I know you're, you're going to be great parents and it's uh, well, what a journey it is. I, I can't wait for you to embark on it. For sure. So let me ask you, though, and, and again, you you don't have to, you know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but sure. like as a man, you know, you have those um aspirations i think of wanting to do um and well i think that that's like particularly for those of us like we we both grew up um i my family grew up in poverty as you pointed out you guys grew up not doing so hot um uh so i like for me especially like there is kind of that idea of um you know having you know grown up in trailer parks and stuff like that sure. um to uh you know to to being where i am today you know which is a a guy uh you know like like a lot of like my my father was not a very well he, he didn't have a formal education he didn't finish school or anything like that so to to be a man today that teaches um mm -hmm. kids and uh is working on a book and does all of that you know like a lot of the reason why i, I do that is because it's like you know, I'm like, well, you know, we, we have such a limited amount of time um, that it's like you want to get out there and you want to accomplish great things, um, uh, even though the tide may be against you. So do you I, I guess my, my question is, like, was that like a particularly hard sacrifice for you to make um, uh, or or? Are you able to look at the the bigger picture of it and say like, well, but this is worth it though because it's um, because I'm doing this for specifically for my family. Like, what what wisdom do you have to say from that? Sure, sure. Um, to to go back a little bit um, to answer that question. Um, oh, and, and to answer the question in short, yes, it was a, it was a big sacrifice, uh, maybe in a blow to um, to my ego more than anything else, and I'll explain why. Um, because so. Before I ever left the Marines, I had a, a wanting to go to uh, Marine Special Operations, so MARSOC. Um, that was after my second deployment with the Marines. I had um, an occasion with, uh, first, actually, I had an occasion on my second deployment with the Bureau, um, which got me interested in that. And I was talking to those guys while I was there. They were like, hey, man, like, you know, you go get your degree. We think you'll be a great fit. I said, screw that. I'm not getting a degree. I'd already tried school a couple of times. It wasn't anything I was interested in. Um, but I, I got to, to, to meet uh, another tier of troop, if you will, uh, which really got me interested in Marine Special Operations, um, come mm -hmm. home um, and try to embark on this journey, started training, think where I was, wanted to be and start talking to recruiters. And um, they wanted you to be a certain rank for a certain amount of time before you picked up a team leader position. And they really didn't want to bring that, that, that uh, you in as a team leader, or at least in that, that rank. And um, right when, I mean, I was cutting it really close. Pack was pretty much done. And um, I started talking to recruiters some more and kind of putting the finishing touches on it. My wife was on for, on board for it. And then she got pregnant with my my uh, first kid, my son. And um, 
it just didn't seem like it was the right time for me to, to leave then. So I said, okay, you know, I know that the National Guard has special operations, um, so I'll go do that and join National Guard. And it just, it, that dream had left <laughs> and uh, I never just really, really went about it. Um, not saying that I could have done it. Um, it was something I wanted to do, it just didn't, didn't line up. Um, and so knowing what I wanted to do before, I said, okay, now I got my degree. I want to do this job in the FBI, which is um, thinking once again, special operations, HRT. Uh, I'm heavy into that kind of stuff. If you see like that, that's more of the things that I'm, I'm driven to. I like the, to be physical. Uh, I feel like God gave me a body that's fairly capable and I like to use it. Uh, not that I don't like to use my brain as well, but um, I think there's, I'll be doing myself and those around me a great disjustice if I didn't use my God-given abilities, which are just my physicality to, for the betterment of man. I really do feel like that's what I'm, I'm, I'm put here for. Um, so HRT, want to do it, want to do it. Think about it for all this time. I was working right next to these guys, had occasion to talk to them. It was, it was a great time. Um, uh, not working next to HRT, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but uh, yeah, having passing guys. Um, and then, you know, getting all the things I have to have done in order to make that, you know, realization for my life. And then um, God's like, hey man, I don't, I don't know if this is really meant for you um, at this time in, in, you know, in, in your life. And uh, is a major blow to my ego because I feel like I can, I want these things. I feel like they are, they are obtainable to me. I feel like I'm put in a position to be able to try my hardest and I think I have a, a decent mindset in order to embark upon these, um, these ventures, but I've been deferred, uh, if you will. Um, and now that I know that uh, Virginia State Police is where I am now, um, it's a, a large organization, clearly not just, you know, like I was working for Petersburg before, this is the entirety of the state and they have similar things that are available. So uh, that's, a, that's a goal of mine in the future that and becoming an investigator there as well. But uh, you know, to circle back and answer your question again, yeah, it was a, it was a big, it was a hard decision for me to make for sure, because um, as much as I love my family, there's a thing about me that allows me to be, I don't want to say great at what I do, because I don't think I'm great by any means, but uh, sometimes better than some others is sometimes my selfishness of not wanting to just settle and, and not wanting to uh, to look a little less than I could, and maybe it, like I said, there's an ego there that I have um, that I have to be better. I, I'm not afraid of competition. I enjoy competition. Um, I'll make a competition out of flipping a quarter, or you know, who can pick the biggest booger out of the nose, or whatever else. I will make a competition out of it if I can. Um, and <laughs> I am destined to compete, and I want to almost compete against myself as much as I can too. As you see, my, there's nothing. This is what I do in my garage, but I'm. Yeah. At my home, I'm either on that treadmill over there or doing pull-ups over there or lifting some weights that I have over here. Like that's all I do because I'm, I'm consistently competing against myself. Um, but to set myself up for, for the best possible position to do um, these things that I would like to do. So it's all that preparation um, is kind of like the fight. You know, we train and train and train and train and train and we want to fight. That's why we train. Um, and you don't get to do that it's, a, it's definitely a blow to the, the individual's ego to see, even see if they, okay, I want to see if I, I have what it takes, if I have the guts, if I have, if I'm strong enough, if I have the will. Um, and that not having the chance to do some of these things can, can definitely uh, knock you down, that's for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, 
Um, I, I found myself in a, a similar position when I was, um, you know, th there's always that next highest level, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that, that you, you know, you really, really kind of see yourself um, that, like, you, you know, that you could probably physically attain this thing. Um, but like in, in my own life, you know, uh, I, I, when those things don't work out, like when it, it, it seems like a dream is comes like crashing down uh so this is a 34 year old paul hyatt talking to a mm -hmm. um you know a 22 year old paul hyatt is um that it, it's not the end of the world you know that like that perhaps there's something even greater that you didn't necessarily perceive because you know like in in my own life um you know i i uh I had aspirations at one point of that, like I was planning on going to the Marine Corps, um, uh, then getting out of the Marine Corps for uh, for a number of years to get my degree. And then I plan on trying to go back into the Navy to be a Navy SEAL um, was was kind of what I um, what was what my aspiration was. But uh, it just kind of became like when I when I uh, married my wife, um, which is, you know, still to this day with all the ups and downs of marriage, um, still what I consider to be uh, what my true calling was in life was to marry this woman and um, uh, and to make uh, all necessary sacrifices on the altar of our marriage that I possibly can in order to be the best husband that I can be. And I uh, ha have my shortcomings, um, like every man does in that particular regard. Um, but I I do love my wife, and I uh, you know I, I am very much a, a married man. And uh, had I not done that, then I wouldn't have gotten to do um, you know what was really the greatest uh, thing that I've done with my life, which was become a teacher, uh, which I really really do believe that I was born to to be. And a lot of people would look at that and say like, well, but that's kind of a you know, an odd one to to go from like aspirations. A lot of people, you know, you become an Navy SEAL, then you can like write a book and you know, all <laughs> yeah, and get the hair gel but deal. <laughs> nobody really necessarily cares about a Marine Corps infantryman, but um, uh, uh, but by limiting yourself, I've heard Jordan Jordan Peterson talk about this by by limiting yourself um, to a handful of things. Um, and mastering those things like at least one thing then what actually happens to you is like the whole world of possibilities opens up to you and you, and, and then you become marketable in ways that sure. you never perceived so you know like I, I would have never thought in a million years that i would um be able to do what i'm doing today as a teacher where like yeah i mean like last week i taught about I, I teach a course called history through conspiracy theories um, which I got to teach at public school um, which was cool but now I get to teach like <laughs> exactly what I want to teach with so I was teaching yeah. about the Nazis connections to occult Satanism and stuff like that uh, and That's, wow it was very interesting and then last semester I got to teach um, Western political philosophy and uh, next school year I'll get to teach um, I'll get to teach a six-week course covering uh, the United States elections uh, relating to politics. And um, you I get, get to pick the the subjects that you want to teach. 
yes. for those six weeks or, or what, what is the, is it six, eight or what, nine weeks or up? Ba basically, I just, um, uh, I, that, that's just a six week, six week long course that's very specific, but then I also uh, will have uh, 12 week long government courses and, um, and a, a year long uh, Roman history course. So I, I, a year long. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, uh, wow. weeks, um, on the, uh, uh, kind of the mythological Roman regal period, um, up sure. to all of the Republic and then, uh, the Roman empire. Um, so, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be a really, really, I, like I get to teach specifically the things that I actually want to teach. So like with regard to my background, um, with what I studied, I was very heavy in school in um, politics and political philosophy in particular, um, uh, uh, ancient history, um, especially uh, Greek, Roman, and medieval history, and um, uh, and economics. So like if you look at kind of what I tend to bring to the table, and then independently, I've studied a lot of uh, psychology and stuff along those lines. But Sure. But, but none of that would have happened, you know, if I uh, wouldn't have. Um, and 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 for me, you know, like the the best things in in my life, like the the best moments in my life, where, uh, you know, like I I feel like I have accomplished the the real joy, uh, have, or when I'm in front of students, and I'm teaching something that I know to be absolutely true. Uh, it, 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 you know, makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck type of experience. And, uh, and the only thing that kind of comes close to it is, um, you know, when I make someone a piece of furniture and see the look in their eye or, um, you know, the excitement when I give it to them. And, and that's a pretty cool experience too. But, um, uh, but I, I did want to shift gears unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about with regard to your background. No, no, no. It's, uh. It's kind of a, there. There's there's clearly a, a lot of layers and yeah. It, to it. I mean, we we could go on <laughs> for a long time. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's so weird. You know, when you kind of take the path that guys like us have taken, it, it it's like it, it's almost like it's hard for people to follow along with. Like, wait, how did you get over here? <laughs> so uh, it is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did want to talk about um, just because it had such an impact on me. Um, uh, was the experiences that we had together uh, when we were deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, yes. uh, so uh, I guess it'd be fun. Um, we met, I, I still remember well the first time that I met you. I don't, so, so brief me. <laughs> so, so I remember, um, uh, and you'll remember it, I'm, I'm sure, when we when I start talking about it, but we were... Uh, we were up at, uh, Bougie, okay, and we had kind of earned it, well, no, 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 we weren't, we were, we were still, um, uh, at, uh, Leatherneck, uh, we hadn't even actually, like, uh, pushed out yet, okay, uh, to, to where our area of operations was going to be, because, um, which, th there was also one other thing that I wanted to mention that, makes Josh a particularly honorable person was that your deployment was completely volunteer based, right? It was, yes. So like, what was that like in the sense of, before I go into the story of when I met you, like, sure. 
the way I remember you telling it to me was like all of the guys, so like you, Byron, bunch of other dudes, um, you guys, you were like given the opportunity of like, hey, this group of lunatic Marines from out in, in uh, 29 Palms are going uh, on this troop surge to Afghanistan. We need X amount of volunteers. Who wants to go? And you chose to go. Why was it that you chose to go? And what was that all about? Yeah, sure. I think it was, um, so the leadership that we had at the time, um, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And watching them work and being under their tutelage made you want to work for them in the capacity that you were called to work in. Um, I don't think very many people, maybe outside of myself, I joined on a whim, like I explained before, but not very many people join just to hang around and do whatever. Um, so once you knew what was at stake and you knew what the job actually was, um, those that were were bought in were fully bought in. And uh, it was the 36 that they needed. So um, I, I couldn't tell you, it's it probably three-fourths of the company that raised their hand and wanted to go. Um, so I can't, can't just say that it was just me. Like, I raised my hand. Woo, I went right. There was, I mean, you know, it was, everybody really wanted to go. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, for, uh, I was a boot. For those that don't know, a, a boot is just a, a new Marine. So, you know, all the boots. They it's were a very affectionate go. term for someone who is way in over their head. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, right? No, no kidding. Um, uh, so they they took they took um, I don't want to say I was one of the better boots I don't I would never try to to discredit anyone else like that uh, but I think they um, I think there was a a thought into some of the 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 better young Marines as to who they would who should we take to kind of stack this this deck in in our favor if you will so we took the uh, the cream of the crop leadership and took um, some pretty good team leaders and and all the the good young Lance corporals that we could. Um, and then we, we sent off. Yeah, it was, uh, there was no, there was no, a, if you don't go, you know, you're going to be you know, in trouble or anything like that. It's who wants to go. And, uh, I was kind of rogered up after that. Really. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I remember meeting you at Leatherneck because that was when, um, we basically found out who our combat engineers were going to be. So before sure. we got to Afghanistan, um, I, like you guys were basically like uh just like you guys were training with us but i i had i had never ran into you even once like i think that you guys were like attached to like weapons company or hns company or something like that we never really integrated um all the work that we did throughout the work up there in 29 palms um was more like, like we just stayed really organic um went off and through, through a couple of Bangalore's on something for a deception yeah. charge, you know, for you guys to to do a, an assault and a couple of line charges here or there. And then we did a lot of very um, IED detection specific stuff that, um, which I'm very glad that we did, you know, not that melding of you know, the line companies uh, or the, the infantry, the standard infantry Marines, if you will, was not important, but that could be done on scene and as it, as it was. Uh, right. But you know, understanding more of the, the task at hand, the 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 IED laden you know environment that we're going into, understanding the nuance there and, and being able to combat those was was the utmost importance. So we spent a lot of time just our platoon because it really was it's all that we sent you know the platoon for, for the entire uh, battalion um, 
we spend a lot of time with, with just us. Yeah. But uh, um, basically, there was just one day before we pushed out to our uh, area of operations, um, which was going to be the Bougie Boss Pass up in, um, well, in the Farah province of Afghanistan. If anybody has a map and wants to find these <laughs> random random places uh, out in the middle of nowhere. But um, uh, but my background was as a, um, uh, I was a, a, a fire team leader. And, um, uh, and when I deployed to Iraq, I was also um, doing intelligence work. And because of that, I had a background in tactical site exploitation. So I knew how to search for um, uh, bombs and bomb making material and all kinds of stuff. So I had a background with it. Um, but I didn't, you know, like, I, I knew that I was in uh, first squad and I knew who my team was and uh, knew that I was the assault team in the assault squad uh, for second platoon and in India company, third battalion, seventh Marine regiment. But outside of that, you know, like we didn't really know what we were going to be doing over there and, and kind of until we got there, or at least we didn't, we weren't told what we were going to be doing anyway. And then it was, you know, we, we knew that the IED threat was going to be there. Sure. Um, and I knew that I was probably going to be walking the front of a patrol, uh, but there wasn't really anybody else in the squad that necessarily had the background that I had. And that was when we found out that it was like, oh, we're going to have uh, attachments to our squad, which were a group of combat engineers. So I remember uh, going to wherever you guys were staying at Leatherneck. And that was when, uh, like, my my squad leader was like, all right, you're going to go over here and we're going to do some training with um, uh, with the combat engineers. And I was like, okay. And uh, and that was when I met you and some of the other um, uh, engineers that were that were there. I remember shaking your hand. Oh, no, I, did you freeze up again? No, no. I'm, okay. I, I'm okay. smiling and looking at you. Sure. I, actually, I remember this. You ran the okay, high yeah. I remember that, yeah. So I, I remember um, uh, being introduced to you, um, and they were like, "All right, this guy's going to be attached to your squad, and he's going to be walking the other side of the attack column with you for the foreseeable future." And I remember shaking your hand, and uh, we trained together, and kind of the the rest is history. But yep. Um, but like because of that like so i mean like that which i think just speaks to like how like awesome the marine corps is really in the sense that like like you and i didn't know each other at all be before no. that like we had no idea who one another were but now we are literally like a lot of people are depending on us and and uh and our squad you know like we you know, we did get thrown into some very hairy situations. You know, like I, I remember, um, uh, I remember uh, Kilo Company was like the first company that tried to make it across the Moose Clay Wadi uh, when we went to uh, the village of uh, Doab. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember like two weeks before you and I went across that Wadi to, to go to where we wound up getting stranded for like close to a month um <laughs> you uh uh you and i uh like the kilo company lost 13 vehicles yep and uh so i mean like you know like and and you and i 
had to clear for IEDs across this wadi that, uh, you know, was constantly being mortared. There were bombs everywhere. And we did have, you know, like a mine roller get blown up two times while we were going across it. I mean, like you and I saw some incredibly stressful situations and, um, uh, you know, lived in, in, um, fighting holes with one another. I remember praying with you. I remember you doing a daily devotional over there. I still have that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, like, so it was just this, uh, incredible relationship to where it was like, you know, I, I was just like, what a, like, that was a, an incredibly scary time for me to be in and to have this guy who was just right there that, uh, I saw eye to eye with on most things. And, and we could talk about anything with one another, including like our fears and, um, uh, anything that was bothering about us, things that were going on back home. Um, you know, like, so, I mean, like in, in, seven months, you know, I made a, a brotherhood with a guy that, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I think about you constantly, you know, and my, oh, of course, my, yeah. my, my wife has never met you and she'll be like, you know, I, how are things with Josh? It's like, she knows you, uh, yeah. you know, like just as well, you know, because she was, you know, kind of there for it all too. And she, she knew, um, she knew about you and I talked about you all the time. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I greatly looked up to you, uh, and, and, you know, and literally, um, uh, you know, uh, here, uh, today, uh, because of that, uh, relationship that we had, you know, like I, I definitely, you know, like there, there were times when, uh, it was, you know, it was scary and, um, and, and you, the least. You, you were right there for those really scary moments. And, um, I got a particular story to tell there, but I, I did want to ask, um, uh, you know, what, what was your perception of me when, uh, when we met and then for the rest of the deployment, like what, what was that like for you? I'm glad you jogged my memory about you meeting at the IED lanes. <laughs> Cause I do definitely remember that now. Um, and my one of my biggest things that especially with the job i was charged with which essentially was just making sure that nobody stepped on landmine so if somebody stepped on it it had to be me nobody behind me could step on it um and you want to sound as knowledgeable and as confident about your job especially when that's your job as possible so my main thing is don't look like an idiot right like i met you and i shook your hand and sure like I remember, I do remember, I really do remember that now, but I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that this guy believes what I'm saying and knows that I can do this job so they don't think I'm an idiot. Um, much less, I, somebody, I am an idiot, somebody blows up behind me, I didn't want, I didn't want to be embarrassed. Um, but um, as time went on and we actually were, were getting into things and going about, I remember before it ever really got kinetic, there was a lot of driving around just, you know, in the Bougie Boss Pass, just, all the time here, there, 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 and get out and, you know, sweep a little bit. And um, I just remember us having the deepest of conversations about, you know, sometimes it's about nothing and sometimes it's about everything. Um, and having someone to talk to where I didn't feel like I had to, to hinder 
myself. I, I feel like I could be in a, in a, in a, the manliest of sense, I could be vulnerable to you. So I didn't have to carry a load by myself. Like, you know, clearly, um, you know, I, I uh, consider myself a Christian and I clearly want to give all my cares, you know, to God, but sometimes the reality is I'm thinking about the here and now and being able to share things with you in the here and now or the then and there, if you will, that I was able to continue with my job. I really was, sometimes I felt like I would be so scared of certain things that I would almost be paralyzed. But through my interactions with you, I was able to, okay, well, this isn't, it's not as bad as it was yesterday. You know, at least right. nobody got shot today. So I guess we're, we're on the up and up now. Um, but I really do equate my mortality here um, and um, how I really uh, view a lot of my life due to, like you said, those seven months in Afghanistan with a complete and total stranger that has now become one of the best friends I could ever have. Um, no matter how often we speak or how often I see you, which only has been since I haven't seen you since then, um, outside of Zoom, uh, um, you know, but um. And we need to fix that. Like, I, I really do no, want to no, figure sure. it out to you. So I, I, yeah, yeah, we definitely need to rectify that in both of our lives, but we'll, we'll get it figured out. But yeah, yeah, that, that, that's soon to come. I, I definitely believe that. But I mean, I can't, um, there aren't really words to describe the bonds that you create with someone when your life is the currency that you dabble in. You know, um, it's a lot different than, you know, working at IBM and maybe, you know, a computer chip's messed up or, you know, <laughs> right. the stakes uh, you know, are or, you know, as high as they get. <laughs> it doesn't get any higher. And then really, um, not to discredit anyone else's position either, but if someone was going to get blown up or someone's going to get shot, it was going to be you or I. We were always at the front. Um, we're always cracking the door, always, <laughs> you know first out the truck or, or yeah. I, I remember a lot of times, you know, Sergeant B or Staff Sergeant Hassel just saying, hey, we're going to go in this direction. And if we were in an elevated yeah. position, <laughs> I would look and say, okay, like maybe you could see, you know, kind of weasel your way through a couple, you know, different compounds or so. But really, I just remember saying, hey, we're going in this direction. And, you know, I didn't really even need the, you know, the GRG. I would just, <laughs> all right, this is the Cardinal. Yeah. You know, I got my compass and that's where we're going. Um, but, you know, to have people trust you in that manner, hey, you're walking in front and we can't die. So you better find what there is to find. And if you don't, somebody's going to die. Yeah. Um, and uh, outside of me doing that to myself, I guess we did pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which brings me, I, I want to get to that in, in a little bit, but, sure. um, but I, you know, I, I was on a podcast recently with, um, with the Catholic gentleman. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that or not, but I described, um, you know the 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 nature of like deploying to a combat zone and knowing that um that there's a very real possibility of death hmm. that makes you reflect on um on the bigger questions of life and that's really kind of where i feel like we were um and and it's like that's the thing that um it had a really really profound impact on me that when you look at 
our world today, um, you know, not being politically naive, uh, it's probably the most uncontroversial thing that I would ever say is that America is <laughs> clearly divided in many, many ways. Sure. But like being in the simplicity of life versus death and having to deal with and overcome the problems associated with that. Um, it, I think that that like, you know, it, it removed any and all differences between you and I and everyone else that was there. It's just like, we literally don't have time to uh, complain and focus on, uh, on, on small things. Yeah, sweating the small stuff like we we have to focus on surviving the day, you know, <laughs> like that's yes. making sure that we don't get killed in the night. You know, it yes. it, it really was that real of a situation. And, um, you know, and, and uh, for me, you know, that became very real. Um, uh, the day that I thought that you you died you know, like that yeah. was really like. Um, uh, so I, I'll tell that story real quick. Um, I was right at the end of our deployment, which has its own kind of psychological uh, impact on you. That it's like you know you're I'm almost there. It's like you're you're you like the finish line. That, <laughs> yeah. It still feels like it's a million miles away. You know, so it's like it's, for sure you're you're two weeks away from being home. Um, but but we we kept getting more and more dangerous missions like it you know like we we like had to do a major clearing operation in the last month that we were in afghanistan yeah and um we went into an area that uh that no one had been into for a long time and uh it was literally you and i that had to jump the wall of a compound uh because you don't go through doors and, <laughs> yeah, and no you don't it's a really good way to die um yeah and uh, so we uh, we take a ladder and we go over a wall and um, uh, and I was providing security for you while you were uh, uh, searching for an IED and uh, you stepped on an IED and uh, I remember you just going up into a giant plume of smoke and dust and I literally thought that my one of my best friends is dead so yeah. I uh, went. I, like I jumped off of the top of the of the building that I was providing security on and started running towards you because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, and here you come running out of the out of the debris and everything. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Uh, and and uh, I could tell that you couldn't see. So I started yelling for you and you uh, ran to my voice and uh, grabbed you and got you up on top of the roof. And um, and, and we got you out of there. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, in, in that, you know, short few moment, like, like that whole thing, which was like one of the biggest, uh, moments of my life, because it, you know, like I really thought, uh, you know, it was like each step toward you in that moment was like, like my, my feet were full of lead basically, because I was like, I'm going to run up on my friend missing a leg dead sure. i don't know what you know like i just you were in a cloud of smoke and dust and whatnot um and uh, uh which i don't even know if you know about this or not but and, and i've i've 
uh, attributed this to being literally a miracle, um, which was that uh, uh, that IED that you stepped on, it was actually a 40 pound IED that only like a couple pounds of it went off. So yeah. it was inert, but it was actually um, daisy chained to uh, I think seven other IEDs. And that was just that was just on that one side of the compound. Yeah. Because uh, then another Marine, um, Matt Thompson. Thompson, uh, yeah. He found those other seven. And then he went to the other side of the compound and found several more IEDs. And then he went out the front door of that compound and found like, like there was, it was either close to or right around a thousand pounds of homemade explosives that were in that one compound um so like if if you would have set off just so that people can understand what these bombs do one 40 pound ied will take the front end off of an up-armored vehicle so it is enough explosive to vaporize a human body basically uh 10 pound uh explosive was enough to take off limbs um so like to have seven of those ieds all wired together in this compound uh in uh in in sangin afghanistan in 2010 it was enough explosive to definitely kill josh probably would have killed me and probably would have killed a number of marines on the other side of the wall that were sure. that were waiting on us to clear the inside of this compound and um uh you know so I, like it really was in my mind a miracle for you to have uh survived that uh, uh that that bomb and the reason why you missed it it's just so people can understand that too um an ied for it to go inert like that means that it was there for a long time so that means that it's basically been washed out to where it's very hard to be able to find something like that. And if they're buried somewhat deep, um, which that's probably what happened with this one, it's not the easiest thing to be able to find. So it was it was an honest mistake that anyone could have made. In fact, um, earlier in that mission, I had missed one, uh, but, it, but it was inert and someone else found it. And that was also one, you know, it's like the the emotional highs and lows that you go through uh, on a deployment like that are just absolutely insane. So, um, you know, I, I had at that point toward the end of the deployment, I had, uh, had friends die. I had seen men die. And that to me was like, it was like one of the, I was like, so thankful to God that you did not die because I, I, I was like, I don't know what I would have done with my life going forward. Um, if you would have passed away, because that's like how much you meant to me uh, and how much you still mean to me today. Um, so, uh, uh, but I, I understand from it though, that I remember you, uh, you took a bunch of dust to the eyes, so you couldn't, that was why you couldn't really see. Um, and then you, uh, uh, I remember you saying that like uh, one side of your body was like really numb from the blast and everything. Yeah, I was like uh, perforated my left eardrum, had some some corneal abrasions and a little bit of frag to the eyes, little specks of other stuff. Yeah, but that was my third time getting rocked. So it kind of some other 
I don't know all the other brain stuff and whatever, but uh, that's for the for the doctor to tell me down the road because I'm afraid to know what the actual part of it is. But yeah, but yeah, it, like my 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 left side kind of went pretty numb for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, but I I was so thankful that you were alive because I was just like it, it would have just completely and totally destroyed me um, to to. Um, to have had you die, um, especially that close to the end of the deployment, uh, because sure. we did lose a Marine pretty close to the end of the deployment, and that had a that had a big impact on everybody. Yeah. I mean, it was hard on everybody uh, to to lose Fabrice. So yeah, um, yeah that uh, was rough. I, I'm thankful to God that you made it out of there alive, and um, I'm incredibly thankful for you having been in my life, but. What was that experience like for you? You know, like I talked quite a bit about, you know, being on that deployment and having men like you in my life has shaped really my outlook on life. You know, like I, I, I went to university and I would have people complain about things <laughs> and I would just be like, what, like you don't know, like, you know, um, People don't realize how bad women have it. Oh wow! Countries outside the United States. Wow. Um, yes. Uh, people don't realize that, uh, like our country, you know, uh, puts a huge emphasis on uh, the protection of human life and mm. the sanctity of human life that isn't that way around the world. And yeah. um, uh, so I'm just kind of curious, like what. What impact did that have on you, like, like, like personally, having a very close call with death? I mean, like a, a very like that. I'm sure that made you reflect on on that as you were leaving that area of like what you know how close you came to to biting the bullet. Um, what yeah. impact did that have on you? What impact did the deployment as a whole have on you? I know that the start of that day. Um, <laughs> I remember I was reading. Um, my Bible before we stepped off. I remember we're at, um, I think it was patrol base, like Amu or something like that. It was Almas. patrol base. Oh, uh, we let, left Almas and then we went to this other. Oh, no, no, you're, you're right. It was uh, Nole. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, I remember reading my Bible and then um, uh, another Marine to be unnamed because he was a cool guy. I don't want to, uh, makes me like he was weird, but uh, uh, He's like, dude, put that thing away. Nobody's dying. Like, you're making me feel weird. And I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to read this thing, man. I'm reading. All right. Um, but uh, to continue that day, going on and on and on, I remember um, right before that happened, I remember uh, you and I were doing something and we're walking down this alleyway. We're, we're just getting absolutely hammered by um, some automatic fire. And I'm sweeping down this, this alleyway and then just rounds zip right in front of us. I'm like, okay, well, we got to figure out something to, to, to go around this whichever way. And I remember... Um, I don't know who told us like, Hey, we need to get snipers up on this roof over here. And that's as to why we climbed over the wall and, and to go to that, that area of the compound. Um, and it was something that I had never done before. I would never take the path of least resistance. I remember walking us through some of the nastiest stuff that Afghan had um, as to why everybody has their legs. Uh, but um, that day uh, we were, we were rushed and um, I walked us right towards some stairs and the path of least resistance. And, uh, those stairs were going to be able to, to, to me, allow me to get those snipers on the roof fast. And um, boom, right? So I, I blow up um, and uh, I go to, go to funny, then I go to serious. So I remember after Staff Sergeant Hassel came across the wall. I, I, uh, I don't know 
I don't know if you poured water on me or whomever, but uh, my pants were soaked. And I was like, Steph, so hard, I peed my pants. I you remember that, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, no, man, we poured water on you. It's okay. I was like, no, I yeah. <laughs> I can't um, remember why they poured the water on you, but but yeah, I do remember that. And I do remember you, because you couldn't see anything. You were you could just feel no, the, no. the wet down there. And you were like, I did I pee my pants? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, but um, so... I remember um, I'm getting carted off to uh, to to um, uh, a vehicle in MRAP MATV. I can't, can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and uh, there was a lieutenant that passed me, and um, he asked me what happened. And I'm sure I was blah 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 blah. blah. And then somebody you know, for me told me um, explained him what happened. And I saw him later on, um, and he said um, he said to me, he's like, man, you must be one of the luckiest people I've ever met. I told him, I said, I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. And I've, I've said that for the longest. Um, I can't, I've said that forever. I don't, I don't really believe in luck. I only believe in God. I don't believe in half a stance. I believe in God. I, I remember you um, saying that to me all the time over there. Cause he yeah. would like, I'd be like, man, we, we got lucky. And he's just like, luck, it's God, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, after having that experience and living through that, it was great for me and it was bad for me at the same time because it, that that showed me like man like i can do whatever and i'm fine you know i you can't take me out and um coming home after that and um being being separate from from all the people you're you're out there with and you know sharing those experiences with um i never i never got down myself to, to the point where over some um, service members have you know thoughts of suicide or anything like that but i definitely did um so many things. I, I mean, I indulged in alcohol to to no extent, um, and I um, I thought that I'd be able to fill the high that was and that 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 specific moment was um, with alcohol and in in, in going after women, and um, that never was the answer, right? That, that we, it didn't even get close to filling that. Um, yeah, yeah. It wasn't until I stopped really trying to rely on, you know, filling um, my time with uh, with alcohol and trying to you know go after women, and I actually focused more on God and, and being sober that I actually fully dealt with what was going on uh, or what had happened. Um, but it changed my life in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And I don't want to discredit anyone's um, anyone's you know. Um, difficulties or things they've been through in life but until you've been tested like that it's hard to really know what you're what you're capable of and I've found what I think I'm I am capable of or and maybe I haven't found maybe I haven't even gotten close to finding the ceiling but I've gotten close to maybe where it is uh, but uh I'm more thankful for that event and I would have it happen to me a thousand times over than to never have lived that through that at all. Mm. Yeah. And this kind of um, uh, brings me to the, the kind of the final thing that I wanted to talk with you about um, for this particular podcast was that. Um, uh, and and I'm, I'm not meaning this to sound in any way prideful, uh, sure. but but like 
what I've found is uh, since I've come back from um, from over there, uh, is that you're you're very different um, mm. after a, a situation like that, and and people do um, see you as being different. The the way that I like to relate it, I don't know if you're a fan of the of the Lord of the Rings, um, but it, you know, great great books, but. Uh, the character Bilbo Baggins, for example, he goes off on this adventure and, uh, um, you know, it tests him in all of these crazy ways. And he, you know, winds up uh, fighting in a war and there's a dragon that's slayed and all this crazy stuff. And then he comes back to the Shire and he is he's treated differently for the rest of his life. It's and the the way that I've heard um uh, Jordan Peterson talk about it, who I greatly admire. He says that um, when you kind of go through, when you're kind of baptized by fire in that way, you become tainted by malevolence and mm -hmm. everybody kind of like, and that's not a bad thing, um, but it's like, you know, fully, uh, you know, what, what really the, the human being is capable of, you know, sure. I've experienced, um, well, we have, have experienced suicide bombers and um, uh, people that will lay in wait and try to kill you um, with a, a, you know, like a, a sniper rifle and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, so I, um, you know, like th there's not very many men that kind of go through what was traditionally seen as a rite of passage sure um for their life anymore and i i have told people about this book endlessly but there's a book called um, king warrior magician lover that really opened my eyes to um uh to to that in society that it's like you know we did some dangerous stuff when we were kids basically because really you know <laughs> when you're you know 18 to 22 years old yeah um you don't know anything you know it, it, but but like going on that adventure and taking that step and 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 dancing with death in many ways um i see that as one of the like i think that it has such a profound impact on uh on you for the rest of your life um because it's when you uh fully embrace manhood it is sure. by finding out that you um uh it's like by by escaping uh or by by having the courage to face death um in a way you do kind of uh feel like you can maybe not overcome it but you've come to terms with it like you you've sure. come to terms with your own mortality and it makes you live your life in such a way which probably explains why you do have that aspect of like you know knowing that you're capable of more like wanting to be um uh, uh something greater because sure. you very nearly had that gift of life robbed away from you prematurely so there's that aspect of like wanting to get out and 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 that is you know like the uh, with regard to my life it's you know uh you know from being uh blown up by IEDs pinned down by snipers um having close calls with suicide bombers like all of this stuff it really does make you want to get out in the world and um 
and and achieve you know to to take um to to i guess live life to the fullest uh and sure. do things um uh because they are challenging and and i think that that's um uh i, I think that that's in great need today in our site like young men i think need to hear that and um and I, you know i was on a, a, a podcast recently talking about that and it, like i could tell it was like a really compelling thing for people to hear that i that i attribute that to a, a rite of passage and it's got people kind of thinking about that so is there anything you would add to that or take away from that or what what do you what do you think sure i i definitely feel like the testing of one's mortality was and I guess I, I don't want to say that I'm hoping that it, that it still should be here in America because that would, that would change everything that America is. And I don't know if I'd want that for my wife and kids continually. Uh, but I think young men are so afraid to venture out nowadays and be um, venture out and be adventurous uh, that we're not fulfilling what it is to be a man anymore. Um, there's something innate in every little boy. You pick up a little boy, he wants to punch you in your face. He wants to, to <laughs> scratch at you. There's, it's natural from birth. They, we are aggressive and that's who we're meant to be. There's a difference between being aggressive and being violent. And then even there's a difference between being violent and being, you know, a homicidal man. Aggression right. and violence are not bad things. Um, I welcome them with open arms because Aggression and violence is what keeps this thing, the greatest country that the world has ever known, running the way it's supposed to run. It's what has, you know, what, what God has used to, you know, knock down the walls of Jericho, to to slay, you know, the giant Philistine, to, to do all these other different great things. But aggression and violence is absolutely necessary in this world. And if we are absent that, um, the rite of passage, I think, that you're, you're speaking of um, dies. Thus, men become something to where we're, we're confused whether we are to wear a dress or not, or we're confused whether I need to explain to you that I would prefer to be called they, them, opposed to um, just Josh Johnson or, or all these other different things that are, that are really old nowadays. We're, we're, we're more focused on the nonsense nuance than what it is to just survive and that's what you know the, the test is just just surviving when you have nothing else to do but just survive like you said earlier you know we don't have time to worry about these nonsensical things the the fight for your life and is it's very hard to explain in, in, in ways that um, I'm not, not to insult the, the, the intelligence of the audience either, but I, I would like to break it down in, in ways that for more of the layman opposed to just that of the warrior, because not everyone is is built to to, to go to, to Afghanistan with an M16 and then go fight, you know, day in and day out. Um, and I understand that, but it doesn't mean that you're any less of a man for that, that matter either. Um, no, I mean, like my my contention would basically be that um, 
at least on on my life, you know, like after I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, my my wife and I started competing in powerlifting. Like you you need something that's going to test you and yeah. discipline you in in both body and mind. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, um, uh, like, and 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 I like. I, I think that like one of the biggest issues, you know, like like I developed being a, a woodworker um, and, and doing it with hand tools specifically because I was like, oh, well, that's harder. You know, like like it's sure, it, sure. It, it's not as easy to do it, you know, with hand tools than what it is with machines. And now I have a lot of machines. And it's like, yeah, it's way easier to do it this way. Um, but there's something about uh, doing something for the sake of it being hard that's going to call out the best in you, you know, and, um, and, and, and I think that it ultimately like makes you unite with, um, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest possible good. And it makes it to where, like, if you don't have that, like if you, if you live a life of endless comfort and Mm. pleasure and stuff like that, well, then what that means is that, well, when you get to that age where, your endless comfort and pleasure start to come to an end, then now you're you're gripping onto something that isn't truly yours. Like sure. you're, you're gripping onto the life that God gave you. You're you're gripping onto your youth that um, that you no longer possess. So that's I think where you wind up with um, older men chasing after younger women. You know, mm. leaving their wives for uh, for for. Um, uh, for for someone else, um, uh, making uh, terrible nonsensical mistakes, um, because they have always just had what they wanted here and now, and now they're not getting that. So they they begin to take things that aren't actually theirs. But sure. it's like, but if you, um, you know, continue to walk the path of discipline and virtue. And go after wisdom rather than um, uh, just trying to be the smartest person in the room. You go after, um, uh, uh, you know, you you talked about a competition with yourself. You know, like you you go after the daily max, you know, like like trying to be able to do better today than you did the day before Um, and, and realizing that your time is limited. So you you have this great tradition that's been handed down to you by uh, the greatness of men from the past that you're hoping to add to rather than take away from. Sure. I think, I think that all of that is realized when you actually go out and um, uh, do things that are hard that can, in fact, kill you. <laughs> so Sure, sure. Uh, no. Yeah, I, I have something I say in my head. Sometimes I say it out loud. and I train it here in my, in my garage a lot by myself. So I can scream as loud as I want, but um, I, I started saying this when I was at a Wounded Warrior after that event um, in, in uh, Afghanistan. It was back in Leatherneck. I started saying to myself, you know, they died, you lived. They died, you lived. And I would get angry and I was scared during that time. Um, you guys were still out there hooking and jabbing. And here I am, like, they gave us these weird sweatsuit kind of things that we had to, that was like to, to signify when you would go to the chow hall, like if these guys are presenting a certain way, like they're hurt. That's why they're they're here yeah. in this capacity. Um, so we just drive around in MRAP all day long and we go to the chow hall. We go hang out with other people, other countries and play volleyball or, or go to the gym. Um, but 
yeah, they take your gun away in a place where you only want a gun. Um, I'm with a whole bunch of people I don't know. Um, so I felt <laughs> like I was alone. Um, yeah. So I started, that's when I actually really started training. And I, I would never say that I'm, I'm God's gift to, to fitness by any means. Uh, I try, uh, but um, I started telling myself, you know, they died, you live, they died, you live. Think about all the guys that we had lost um, previously to, to me before I, my injury. And um, I was saying that because I wanted to make sure that their sacrifice did not go to waste by, by, what, by my efforts. So if I'm going to do something, why not do it 150% opposed to just go do this easy thing? Um, and that, that's led me to it. I'm, I'm, I, I don't climb as often as I like to, but I've gotten a lot, a lot heavier into, into rock climbing. I've been kind of rock climbing um, for the last, oh, my third quarter, like 20 years, honestly. Um, got me into, uh, like you said, you know, <laughs> it was, I thought it was a great analogy. You said uh, you like to woodwork uh, more with your hands than you do um, with the, all the other tools because it's harder. I started shooting a bow and I don't shoot with the sight. Um, I'll get a sight later on, but I don't shoot with the sight because it's hard. I want to learn the hard way and then I can apply that to the easy way. It's like yeah. shooting a gun, you shoot iron sights, you know, that's great. Um, you do great, but you throw optic on it, you can see everything, you can hit it easy. So um, like na- right now in, in the Army National Guard, I'm, I'm the sniper section leader for my battalion. And um, I tell people all the time, you know, like, oh, how do you do that? And the guys that, that aren't exactly versed in, in you know, in precision, um, I was like, well, it's not as hard as you think if you can see everything that you're shooting at. <laughs> you know, but if you have iron sights on it, it's a lot harder. Uh, but doing the hard thing, um, I think it, like you're saying, it, it, it's uh, doing it because it's hard. The pursuit in itself should mean something, not just the outcome. Right. Um, you know, the pursuit, the hard journey, like you said, you know, you seek wisdom on the hard journey. You're learning all these lessons throughout your time slugging away whatever that journey may be like you said maybe it's powerlifting or, or even you know being an author but the joy that's on the other side of the hard thing is what really i think really really uh, matters for sure but the uh the journey makes that that joy yeah yeah and 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 um uh there's there's a psychologist by the name of carl Jung. He was, he's got kind of a famous uh, Latin um, saying that's going around all over the place called um, uh, insterquilinus and in, invenitur, which means um, mm. uh, in filth it will be found. Or sure. basically what it would uh, translate to is what you most want to find will be found where you least want to find it. And, mm. and that's, you know, uh, and, and I, you know, or in, in Christianity, it would just be referred to as uh, the dark night of the soul. Um, sure. you know, like when you at that lowest point, right? Like that's, that's a test from God in order to see what you're really made of. Um, but then, uh, like if you can make it through that test forthrightly, then you now have an appreciation for life that like that, that another person who, um, uh, failed to, um to to overcome or to to uh to stand up to that test forthrightly um you know you you uh 
uh, they, they're just going to live a, a lesser life because they sure. shied away from their true calling. Um, yes, when, I agree. when times got tough, they threw in the towel and said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll choose the easy thing rather than to continue to do what is um, required of me by God. Um, sure. but, but certainly, you know, like with our our individual experience with regard to war, you know, like seeing men lay down their lives, um, it the, like it makes it so much more real. That it's like when you get home from that, it's like, yeah, I'm going to live my life in such a way that would make those people um, uh, joyful for me because it's oh, like sure. And I do like to think that that uh, that the Marines that uh, that didn't make it home when we were there that they are in a better place and they are looking down at all of us and they are saying like, you know, good for you, Josh, you know, like good, good yeah. for you that you have a wife and uh, are, are getting ready to welcome another child in the world and that you're able to use your strength to protect those who uh, are not strong enough to defend themselves. And, uh, um, you know, by your wisdom and your virtue to make, the right decisions in impossible situations that you're going to run into as a police officer. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, man, I just, I knew we were going to have a great conversation. I, I just, yeah. I, I've loved this so much and um, I, I wish we could talk forever, but I know that you're probably late for supper and I don't want to uh, upset <laughs> your life, but is there anything else you want to end with um, or just any words of wisdom that you want to part ways with or anything like that? Um, you know, I, I uh, I try every time I come into in contact with somebody that uh, generally an offender, right? They, they, maybe these people are, uh, I've dealt with many a different investigation, many a different type of offender. And generally when I, I know somebody's probably going to go down for, for some time, um, especially in, if they're young and it seemed like it was just a spur of the moment um, decision that they made. I, I try to always impart on them to, to not let this one moment define the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, generally, yes, part of it is it's going to define the rest of their life because I'm talking about generally felonious actions. So you get an F on your on your your background and changes everything for you. But but um, more of the mind that I don't want them to allow to define the rest of their life. Um, I could have allowed, you know, a small little incident like. I call it small because in the grand scheme of things, it was small. It was a, the whole incident was, you know, <laughs> a, a blink of an eye. It was fast, right? I could have let that define my life for the worst or, or, um, or any other myriad of incident that we had. Uh, but not allowing something that seems that it's there to knock you down be the last word um, because there's so much more to life than you waking up, making this mistake and allowing you to just lie in the bed with this mistake for the rest of your life. There's always a silver lining um, and, and more of a, a faith-based way. Like God always has an open door. Yep. You have to also be willing to accept that it's going to be a hard road, like we were just speaking about, maybe to get to that door and open it. But that doesn't mean that that hard road is not the road to take. That is the road to take. Um, never just settle for less. Always be more. 
you're worth more. You are more. He made us for more. Um, I think we, we tend to just barely live up to our potential um, in this life. And you know, when we turn in these bodies of ours, like, you know, you want to turn it in with you know, tires flat, transmission blown, you know, the, the coolant leaking out. <laughs> try, try your hardest in everything you do. And honestly, yeah. I, I think there's, there's something like we were speaking of before, but that's where the true joy is and, and, and enjoying the process of something. Um, the outcome will be there, but, it, but enjoying the process and, and being willing to go through things that are difficult, really, um, you can write your own ticket after that. All right, man. Well, hey, buddy. I appreciate everything you were able to talk with me about. Um, we'll have to have you back on the podcast eventually. Um, and uh, I got to get out to see you and see the wife yeah. and all that good stuff. My wife is, she's like, you got to get out there, man. I'm like, I, I know. It's just, we've got so much going on. I know you have so much going on. Yeah. Too, but, um, uh, but I thank God for you being in my life. I'll continue to pray for you, man. And I hope you do the same thing for me. Um, of course. Uh, pleasure having you on the podcast. And um, hopefully everything you had to say will have a good impact on someone out there. So thanks and God bless. Thanks for this, Paul. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I hope that you'll like, subscribe, and share this information along with people who may be interested in it. God bless.